0: Right now, Psalm number three. Okay, this is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. Alright, our sermon today is Exodus 29, it's verses 15 through 25, and this is called The Consecration of Aaron and His Sons, Part 2. Uh, starting in verse 15, you shall receive them back from their hands, And is that no, that's 25, 15, sorry about that. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, with wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram, and take some of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. And on the tip of the right ear of his sons, and on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron, and on his garments, and on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, The two kidneys and the fat on them, the ram, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Anybody seeing Christ in there? Lots of pictures of Christ. The details for the consecration of Aaron and his sons are lengthy, and they are complex. They were given by God in order to have a line of people who would be acceptable ministers to God on behalf of the people. But it is not the people who were actually acceptable to him. Rather, it was the types and shadows of Christ that they only represented, which made them so. The priesthood was required by God for the service of the law. But it was initiated by Moses on God's behalf. Perfection will not come from imperfection, and Moses was an imperfect man who ministered before the Lord. In the ordination rites we will see today, Moses will have certain tasks to do, just as he has throughout the entire ritual. These will include slaughtering animals, anointing Aaron and his sons, and handling their wave of offering. The animals are in a different category than man. Their blood was not capable of purifying the sin and defilement of man. And the stain of sin remained on the minister and those ministered to, meaning Moses, Aaron, and his sons. The law and its ministers were simply a stepping stone in the process of redemptive history. They fulfilled their purpose, but they made no one perfect. The author of Hebrews explains this to us by using the enigmatic figure of Melchizedek from Genesis 14 and contrasting him to Aaron. What he says is our text verse for the day. This is from Hebrews chapter 7, it's verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, if the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? David, writing in the Psalms, highlighted the fact that someone would come along who would hold the position of an eternal priesthood pictured by this marvelously mysterious man melchizedek the book of hebrews takes that prophecy ascribes it to christ jesus and then shows how it contrasts to the imperfection of the levitical priesthood by demonstrating that the levitical priesthood was imperfect that it was Conducted by imperfect men and that they could never make anyone else perfect We are shown that something else was needed to restore us to the perfection which God requires in order for us to intimately Fellowship with him once again Eden was lost and it will be restored we know this But we also know that it can never come through a law mediated by imperfect priests and so today While we're looking at the continuing consecration of Aaron and his sons, let's try to remember that everything that we are looking at is both temporary and typical. It is temporary in what it deals with, meaning the law of Moses, and it is typical in that which it typifies or pictures, meaning Christ Jesus' more perfect ministry. If we can keep our minds on that now, and every time that we open the Bible, we will have a much clearer understanding And a much deeper appreciation of why all of these details are included for us to look into. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is the first ram. It's verses 15 through 18. Verse 15, you shall also take one ram. Verses 10 through 14 from last week detailed the slaughter of the bull of consecration. Now the two rams which were selected along with the bull in verse 1 are to be sacrificed. They were, as verse 1 noted, to be without blemish. In the Hebrew, there is an article before the word ram. It says, and ram the one. It is one of the two which has been selected as a burnt offering to the Lord. Verse 15 continues. And Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Of this verse, John Gill, great scholar from days past, John Gill says that by putting their hands on the head of the ram, they were confessing their sins, acknowledging their guilt, and by this act transferring the same to the ram, which was to be a burnt offering and was typical of the imputation of sin to Christ as before observed. Despite being a great Bible commentator, the analysis is incorrect. That's why I ask you always to take commentaries with a grain of salt. According to verse 18, this animal will be offered as a sweet aroma to the Lord. If this were a sin offering, the last thing that we would want to do is offer it in this manner to the Lord. That would be comparable to saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to steal new furniture for the house as a devotion to the Lord. Instead, the sins of Aaron and his sons were symbolically transferred to the bull of the previous verses. Now, this ram is given as a token of the dedication of themselves wholly to God as living sacrifices. This then follows logically after the sin offering in type and picture of Christ. If you think about it, it's a picture of our process of being justified before the Lord and then being sanctified before the Lord, etc. Each thing is following a logical progression. Nobody can offer themselves as a holy and dedicated person to Christ until they first receive his forgiveness of sins. Unfortunately, this is how many churches work in the world today. People come in, they're told to live really good lives, and they are told to do good stuff for the Lord. However, if they have never had their sins dealt with first, then it doesn't matter how good they are. The offering of their lives is tainted with sin, and it is unacceptable to God. If Mother Teresa did not receive Jesus Christ as her Savior, then he never received her life of piety as an offering. It is that simple. Only after the sin is dealt with can we offer ourselves properly to the one who has been offended by fallen man and his life of sin, even since the days of Adam. What we look at as a seemingly barbarous set of rituals from an outdated law are only a type and a shadow of exactly what was necessitating the death of Jesus Christ. To state that these animal sacrifices were somehow unnecessary or barbarous is an implicit statement that Christ's even greater sacrifice was unnecessary. Woe to us if we were to ever presume to hold such a view. The holiness of God is revealed in each animal sacrifice that is mentioned in these verses. Verse 16, and you shall kill the ram. The ram is to die in place of Aaron and his sons. Death is involved, but life is involved as well. Taking the death of the bull from last week and then the death of the ram so far this week, a picture right from the New Testament is being made. Concerning the bull, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 6. He says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, think of the bull offering while I'm reading this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Concerning the ram, Paul also says in Romans that we are to be living sacrifices to God. That sounds contradictory, a living sacrifice, but it is pictured here in the death of this ram for the ongoing consecration of Aaron and his sons. Verse 16 going on. And you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. Unlike the bull, nothing here is said concerning applying the blood to the horns of the altar. Remember we did that last week with the bull's blood. As I noted then, the horns or car note of the altar are the place of mercy and safe refuge. They're also a symbol of strength. For the blood to be placed on them signified granting of mercy and the allowance of safety from the wrath which had been transferred to that bull. As their four horns pointing to the four corners of the earth, it symbolized the power of the act to fully save and cleanse the sinner. This is unneeded here because the mercy has already been granted and the sins have already been expiated. As far as the translation which says to sprinkle its blood all around the altar, this is not what is happening. It should say something like scatter or splash. It is a completely different word than that which will be used in verse 21. The NIV gives a far better rendering with slaughter it and take the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar. Jewish commentaries concerning this action say that the blood was cast at two of the corners and thus moistened all four sides. This was regarded as casting it on the altar all around. The purpose of this blood being splashed on the altar expresses one's complete voluntary surrender and readiness to die while yet living. Think of the living sacrifice. This is what Christ did for us. When we are in Christ, then that same yielding on our part is reckoned as acceptable to God. However, even our very best services and offerings to God are still not acceptable without the covering of Christ's blood. Only as seen through what he has done can the things that we do be considered in that same acceptable light. Verse 17, Then you shall cut the ram in pieces. The handling and dividing of the animal here is completely different than that of the bull. There were a few expressly named parts of the bull which were to be burned on the altar, but its flesh, hide, and offal were to be burned outside the camp as a sin offering. However, this animal is divided up and washed. The word for you shall cut is natach. It's introduced here, and it is actually quite a rare word in the Bible. It's only used nine times. It comes from a primitive root meaning to dismember. Thus, it means to cut in pieces or to divide by joints, such as the action that's accomplished here. Verse 17 continues, wash its entrails and its legs. Another new word here is kerah, or leg. It specifically signifies from the knee to the ankle. The washing of these was to signify purity. In picture, it is the purity of Christ which will be offered on the altar. As the legs are the part of the animal which are covered in the dirt of the earth, it is these that are washed. In this, it would cleanse the externally defiled parts. This is seen in the washing of the feet throughout all of the Bible, which is symbolic of washing away worldly defilement. This is why Jesus said in John 13, verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. Abraham understood this, and he brought water to wash the Lord's feet when he arrived at his tent in Genesis 19, verse 2. For this reason, the legs, along with the entrails, were washed. The animal pictures the purity of Christ, offered up to God as a perfect offering. Verse 17 going on, and put them with its pieces and with its head, They were to be divided here so that the entire animal could be burnt together as a whole unit. If the legs were not removed, they would hang out from the fire and they'd smolder, but they wouldn't be burned up together with the body. But in picture, Christ was completely consumed in his ministry under the law and in his death in fulfillment of the law. Thus, this ram was to picture him in this way. Once it was cut up, its body was to be treated in a completely different way than that of the bull from last week, as we see next. Verse 18, and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. The entire ram is to be burned right there on the altar. The expiation of sin is not needed. Because of this, the animal is considered an acceptable substitute to be offered to the Lord on behalf of those it replaced. Such a burn offering, without any associated defilement, represented perfect self sacrifice think of ourselves perfect self-sacrifice but first think of Christ when we are in Christ we can now perfectly offer ourselves to God for this reason it was entirely acceptable to God and that's why the entire animal is burned the word for burn here Qatar is the same as that of verse 13 from last week where the intimate parts of the bull alone were burnt on the altar The contrast between that sin offering and this whole burnt offering could not be made any clearer. This word, "katar" signifies making something fragrant through fire. The entire animal was such an offering. In picture, the ram here signifies the holy, acceptable offering of Christ to God on behalf of man. In the bull, he was seen as the sin offering which was burned outside the camp. And remember, he died outside the gates of Jerusalem. But in the ram, he is seen as the whole and complete perfection of every good deed offered to God on this brazen altar. It is he who is pleasing to God in fulfillment of the law. In him, we are viewed as if we have here been presented to God in exactly the same way. It is a marvelous thing for us to consider. We, you and I, we Christians are an acceptable offering to God because of the work of another. Verse 18 continues, it is a burnt offering to the Lord. The olah or burnt offering, gives the idea of ascent, as if going upstairs. The smoke of the offering was to ascend to Jehovah, who is symbolically to receive it on high. It is translated into Greek as holocaust, a word that we are very familiar with concerning the complete burning of many Jews during World War II. Verse 18 continues, it is a sweet aroma. The word "sweet" or "nechoach" hasn't been seen since Genesis 8, verse 21, when Noah built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed to Him after the flood. The word comes from the word "nuach," which means restful, and thus abstractly delight as in a sweet odor. It is exactly what Paul was referring to when he thanked the Philippians for their gift sent to him as an offering. And this is the one that I was trying to cite to you earlier today. Indeed, I have all and abound i am full having received from epaphroditus the thing sent from you a sweet smelling aroma an acceptable sacrifice well pleasing to god verse 18 continues an offering made by fire to the lord the word offering here is a new one in the bible is it is a word used in a liturgical sense which indicates especially an offering by fire it comes from esh, meaning fire As a short explanation of the two animals thus far mentioned the bull was given to make the man acceptable to God by having his sins expiated or taken away the first ram has been given to show that in Christ the man's actions as a self sacrifice are acceptable to God the two follow in order to show that the first must precede the second come to church give your life to Christ and then do good stuff Don't go to church and do good stuff, hoping that Christ will accept you. You see how this is logical. Paul, being a Jew and well-versed in the Old Testament types and pictures, wrote words which reflect exactly what was going on in this first ram offering. Two verses of special note. The first one is from Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And then he says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as Christ first and now us emulating Christ as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, an offering made of our lives and our work. We shall be obedient to him and to his word. No duty that is proper shall we set aside or shirk. As Christ our Lord gave himself for us, we should also walk in love and, and so be a suitable offering. Let us endeavor to follow our Lord Jesus and act in emulation of his eternal proffering, offering ourselves and our bodies as a living sacrifice, people living out our lives holy and acceptable to God. Because for our sins, Christ Jesus paid the price, and now it is our duty to be circumspect in this life we trod. Our second thought today is the sprinkling of the blood, verses 19 through 21. Verse 19, you shall also take the other ram, The Hebrew says the ram, the second. In verse 22, it is called El Milium or the ram of consecration because in the acts associated with it, this portion of the consecration of Aaron and his sons will be complete. This ram is essentially a peace or a fellowship offering. But because it is part of the consecration of Aaron and his sons, there's more to it than a normal peace offering. Mm -hmm. Verse 19 going on. And Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. The laying of the hands on the head of the bull was for the transfer of sin. The laying of the hands on the head for the first ram was an offering of the individual wholly to the service of God. The laying of the hands on this animal was to signify the receiving of authority to serve. Each offering is logically noted in order to show the process of acceptable service to God. Verse 20, then you shall kill the ram. The word for kill here, shachat, is a general word which can be translated as kill. But the word for slaughter or translating it as slaughter would be a much better word. They don't shoot the thing with an arrow and they don't beat it to death with a bat. Instead, they cut the animal so that it bleeds out into a basin. And this is what should come to mind with each and every one of these sacrifices that we see in this chapter and the many sacrifices which are ahead of us. Verse 20 continues, And take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, on the tip of the right ear of his sons, and on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot. As odd as this may seem at first, a bit of explanation, and everyone who doesn't understand what's going on should have their aha moment. The application of the blood to the priests is the crowning moment of this entire process. It is symbolic of the complete dedication of the priest's life to the service of the Lord. The returning of the blood to these men signifies their acceptance as ministers and the granting of authority as such. The blood symbolizes life. The shed blood thus symbolizes death. They symbolically die to self and henceforward are to live for God. That each point of application is on the right side has meaning in and of itself. Biblically, the right side is the side of strength, honor, and blessing, authority, Judgment, as in salvation judgment, wisdom, cleansing, and the like. Applying the blood to the right includes, in some measure, each and every one of these connotations. First, blood is applied to the tenuk, or lobe of the ear. This signifies obedience in the sense of spiritual hearing. They were to heed the divine voice, which would speak to them, either through the law or through God's prophets. Their lives were to be consecrated to this hearing of the word, in the sense of applying it to their lives. Following this, it was to be applied to the bohen or thumb of the right hand. This word comes from a root which means thick. Therefore, it is the thick part of the hand, and thus the thumb. The finger symbolizes human activity. Here, the thumb represents the whole hand. Their hands, meaning their spiritual activities, were to be set apart to God, to holiness, and to only that which was sanctified. They were to be ministers ready to not only hear the divine voice, but to respond to it through daily activity. Finally, the blood was to be applied to the bow hen or big toe of their right foot. It is the same word as thumb. As the big toe is the thick appendage, it received the application of blood as representative of the entire foot. This symbolized that the priests were to walk only in paths of holiness, directing their steps towards God in the race that was set before them. This verse, with the three principal points of application, is explained by Paul in many, many different verses of the New Testament, but it is well summed up in Colossians chapter 1. Listen, and you'll see exactly what's being done to Aaron and his sons. He says in Colossians 1, 9 through 12, For this, also, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of him "...of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, the ear, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, the toe, being fruitful in every good work, the thumb, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us," remember, they're being qualified as ministers, "...being qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." In the application of the blood to these three extremities, there is the sense that their entire lives were enclosed in the service of God. From the head to the toe and from the right hand to their foot, their lives were thus sanctified as acceptable ministers. However, there is the truth that even with this application they still could not hear, they could not understand, and they could not serve or walk in a truly proper manner. Further, As this blood actually did nothing but symbolize something else, it only looked forward in type and shadow. As Aaron only pictures the true high priest, Christ, then he and his sons were only a shadow of the one who literally fulfilled these ancient images. The history of the Aaronic priesthood is one filled with fallible men who often made disastrous decisions. Their being set apart for the service of God was only an anticipatory look towards Christ who would come as the more excellent priest with a much more excellent ministry, which is established on much, much better promises. Verse 20 continues, And sprinkled the blood all around the altar. As the slaying of this ram signifies the receiving of authority to serve, the splashing of the blood around the altar signifies the acceptance of them for this purpose. There's a duality to the application of the blood, first to them, and then the remainder of it to be splashed on the altar. Verse 21, and you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. There are two separate points which most scholars agree and comment on. Two points I want you to listen to. One is that this is speaking of the blood which was going to be splashed on the altar, not the blood that was splashed on the altar. Their reasoning is that there wouldn't be enough blood to use for sprinkling otherwise. The second thing that they comment on is that this blood signified their justification before the Lord. Almost every scholar that I read said that. Both of these make no sense at all. If they were to use the blood that was going to be splashed, it would have said that. Instead, the word is very distinct asher al From the blood that is on the altar. Secondly, their justification came from the blood of the bull, not these rams. Other than a bit of blood being applied to the horns, that blood, the blood of the bull, was poured out on the ground, not on the altar. This is ram's blood that has already been splashed on the altar. The amount is not what is important. Rather, the fact that it had been splashed on the altar is what is. There's a specific process here. Slaughter. Splash on the altar. Take blood from the altar to use in sprinkling. It is a confirmation that not only had the blood of the ordination ram been applied to both priest and altar, but that it was then accepted by God and returned to them along with the anointing oil. In picture, what is this? It's their Pentecost moment. They had been received as acceptable, and they were symbolically endowed with that acceptance. No great amount of blood was necessary. In fact, if it was a heavy amount, it would literally stain their beautiful garments. The word for sprinkle here is nazah. This is its first use in Scripture. It indicates sprinkling for purification, cleansing, atonement, expiation, and so on. In this case, it is for the hallowing or sanctification of Aaron, his sons, and their garments. Only a small amount would be needed to symbolically confirm their consecration and their acceptance for duty. Verse 21 continues, And he and his garments shall be hallowed in his sons, and his sons' garments with him. As the verse itself notes, the blood of the ram, which had been splashed on the altar, and then mixed with the oil, was then sprinkled on them, and their garments as a sign of their hallowing. This is reflected by Paul's words from Romans chapter 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written you more boldly to written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, which is being pictured by God saying, I've received the blood on the altar, I've anointed it with the oil, picturing the Holy Spirit, and I have made you acceptable. Think of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, a perfect example of it. It is the offering which is considered acceptable, which is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. As a side note, one of the ancient Sanhedrin commentaries says that after Aaron's clothes were sanctified by the blood from the altar, they were never, never to be burned or torn or thrown out. The tradition says that even if the high priest were to die, the clothes should stay. This is certainly reflected in Christ's seamless garment, which was not torn, but instead lots were thrown for it. Even more, John records the following concerning the linen that Christ was buried in. It says, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. His body departed, but the garments which he was buried in remained. The handkerchief even showed careful signs of folding, something that no grave robber would have done. Instead, he meticulously took the time to care for that which he performed his priestly functions in, and he did that for us. Let us endeavor to be filled with all that is good, with Christ's wisdom and spiritual understanding, and let us act as Christ determines we should, not as the world around us is constantly demanding. If we rely on Christ, our walk will be worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him in each and every way. We will be fruitful in every good work according to his word, And we will be people pleasing to God each and every day. And as we increase in the knowledge of our God, strengthened with all might and according to his glorious power, we will be steadfast through every trial we trod. Let us so live day unto day, hour unto hour. Our third thought today is a wave offering before the Lord. It's verses 22 through 25. Verse 22, also you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat on them, the right thigh. The fat that was already mentioned in connection with the bull's sacrifice is repeated here. These signify the health of life, the seat of emotions, and the seat of reasoning. We saw that last week. These, along with the other fat of the ram and the right thigh, were to be separated from the animal. Fat in the Bible signifies abundance. The shok, or thigh, actually can mean thigh, shoulder, hip, or leg. It comes from a word meaning abundant. Thus it is the abundant area of meat on an appendage. As it is the right thigh, it signifies the honorable side. In all, that which is abundant and most honorable is what is being seen here. Verse 22 continues, For it is a ram of consecration. The term here is el milium, the ram of filling up. Thus, it is uh, termed because, as Charles Ellicott notes, when a person was dedicated or consecrated to God, his hands were filled with some particular offering proper for the occasion, which he presented to God. Hence, the word consecration signifies the filling up or filling the hands, some part of the sacrifice being put into the hands of such persons, denoting thereby that they now had a right To offer sacrifices and oblations to God. As Aaron and his sons are to be filled with this offering, and as this offering is one which signifies receiving authority to serve, we have a New Testament parallel right from the hand of Paul. He says in 2 Timothy, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Paul is thinking like a Jew that understood these precepts from the law when he writes the New Testament. That's why we can't really understand the New unless we go back and we see what he is talking about. The same idea of filling the hand, which is seen in this passage, was for many years a part of the rites of the ordination of, believe it or not, the Church of England. Charles Ellicott shares it with us. He says, it seems in reference to this ancient mode of consecration, which we're talking about here, that in the Church of England, when a person is ordained priest, a Bible is placed into his hands with these words, take thou authority to preach the word of God. How unfortunate it is that most of that once great heritage has now devolved into anything but preaching the word of God. Prophecy update after prophecy update, we see the perversion going on in the Church of England. We've got Buddhist meditation going on there. They're ordaining homosexuals there. And yet this is what it once was held in such high esteem that they took this word of God. They placed it in that man's hands and they said, go forth, preach this word. Verse 23, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. The three breads mentioned in verse two are now brought back into the narrative for the ordination offering. However, there's a new aspect which was not revealed previously. I did talk about it last week, but it's only really revealed in this verse. In verse 2, for the first bread, it simply said unleavened bread. Now, however, it is further described as kikar lechem, or circular loaf bread. The circle in the Bible gives the idea of that which is divine and eternal. There's no beginning or end to it. These three breads and their spiritual meaning were all explained last week and all point to the work of Christ. Now, you weren't here last week, so you've got to go back and watch that sermon so you know what I'm talking about. These, along with the select parts of the ram, now have a specific purpose. Verse 24, And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons. What is more accurate here would be, you shall put these on the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons. The reason why is because of the ritual which is going to be conducted. Aaron and his sons were to open their hands, and Moses would then place them on their open hands. The reason for this follows. Verse 24 continues, And you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Excuse me. The tenu fa, or wave offering, is introduced here. The word comes from the word nuf, which means to wave or to move to and fro. The pulpit commentary describes for us what transpired. They say the offerings were to be laid first on the hands of Aaron and then on those of his sons, which were to support them, while Moses, putting his hands under theirs, made a waving motion with them towards the four corners of the heavens to indicate that the gifts were offered to the omnipresent God. This process was that of filling the hand by which the actual installation and office took place. Moses, by the act, transferred the priestly functions which he had hitherto exercised, to his brother and to his brother's descendants. He made them by his muscular energy perform their first priestly act. This description appears to be sound. By making a waving motion to the four corners of the earth, it would thus be before or in the face of the Lord. It was an offering to and an acknowledgement of his omnipresence. Although these are only the instructions that Moses is getting for this ritual, moses must have either felt a twinge of loss or a twinge of relief at hearing them either he would soon be resigning a responsibility that he would have been grateful to continue with or he would soon be letting go of a burden that he was grateful to see end either way not long after conducting this ritual and a few other priestly functions during their time of ordination he would no longer serve in the capacity of prophet and priest Verse 25, you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. The items were waived by the strength of Moses, and they were then taken back by Moses as if Aaron and his sons were still common people making an offering to God. They are being endowed with priestly authority, but they would not yet be considered fully installed. Until the completion of the rite, it is Moses who would continue acting as priest before the Lord. The wave offering being returned to the Lord as a burnt offering was to signify the complete submission of themselves to the Lord. In picture, each thing in their hand symbolizes Christ, as has already been explained. The true and eternal priesthood, which these rites of the Aaronic priesthood only foreshadow, are embodied in him. The innards and the fat of the animal, the right shoulder, the three types of bread, each of them show us a picture of the most intimate parts of Christ and his ministry, which were offered up to God as a whole burnt offering and as a sweet aroma to the Lord. His work was found acceptable, and through it he has obtained a much more perfect priesthood and ministry than could ever have been obtained by mere fallible fallen men and the blood of bulls and goats." At the ordination of Aaron, God looked forward in time to the ministry of Christ and he smelled a sweet savor only because of what it pictured, not because of the animal burning there on the altar. In truth, the final words of today look forward to the life of our precious Lord Jesus. Verse 25 finishes with, it is an offering made by fire to the Lord. The entire life and ministry of Christ was an offering made by fire to the Lord. His perfection far surpasses the earthly rituals which were conducted by Moses in the ordination of Aaron and his sons. The law, along with its priesthood, was destined to be superseded by something else because it could never, never, never make men perfect. This is evident in the fact that Moses is acting as God's priest in order to establish the Aaronic priesthood. But Moses is later going to be seen to fail in his actions before the Lord. In this act, Aaron will be included in Moses' failure. Both men will be punished for their transgressions and both men will die, as all the priests of Israel died after them. Only a perfect high priest with a perfect ordination and a perfect execution of his duties is capable of perfectly pleasing God. Thank God for Jesus Christ who is wholly suited to the enormous task When we look back on our lives of sin and rebellion, we can be assured that the penalty for our actions has been fully and perfectly taken care of by him. The often overwhelming details of the Old Testament come alive when they are seen through the flawless lens of Jesus Christ. Let us endeavor to live for him in this life, but not fear when we fail. The author of Hebrews will close us out today with wonderful words of Christ's ability to fully handle our many faults. It says there in Hebrews nine thirteen through 15, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. You want to know eternal salvation? Is that true or not? Can you lose your salvation? That verse tells you right there. You have an eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. He has done the work and all we have to do is trust in it. He is already our mediator. He's already taking care of the things that we do. It's all right there in the Bible for us to see. and It's all prefigured in these Old Testament passages. But there is a problem that if you have not called on Jesus Christ, these don't apply to you. None of it. And so I would ask you today to just consider your station before the Lord. Have I asked Christ to forgive me of my sins? If you have, then you're on the highway to heaven. And if you haven't, you need to get that done first. Don't bother going to church and doing good stuff. Don't bother doing that unless you first take care of your sin debt. Because all the good stuff in the world will not get you up that infinite ladder to meet with God. Because your life is going to be cut short. At some point, you're going to die. And that ladder still exists. Without Christ Jesus, there is no way to attain God the Father. But through his blood and through his work, which is prefigured in these animals, we have true reconciliation with God. So do it today. Call on Jesus and be saved. Next week, uh, let's see. In these verses, the ordination will be complete. This we shall see. It's Exodus 29, 26 through 37. The consecration of Aaron and his sons, part three. That'll be our 81st Exodus sermon. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters. He can lead you through it on dry ground. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. All right? I got a poem for you. To... Did everybody see Christ in today's passage? Everybody understand everything? If you don't, send me an email. We'll, we'll make sure that you get the the gist of it. Because everything in this passage is what Paul is writing to us about. And we know what Paul says, but we don't know why he says it and now we can say i know where paul got that idea from that little animal lying on that altar had to cut off its legs so they wouldn't sit there and smolder they had to be washed because when you walk on the earth your feet are dirty and all through the bible people are washing people's feet and you have to say why why do they do that you know woman comes and washes her feet with christ's with her hair on the night before he was crucified right was It, was it uh, That might have been a different one. Anyway, all the way through the Bible, you'll see the washing of the feet. And they washed their feet before, after the walk on the road to Emmaus. Remember that? It doesn't say they washed their feet, but they went into a house and he broke the bread. Well, they hadn't washed their feet before they went into the house if they were, you know, observant, customary Jews. So you see these things all the way through the Bible, either explicitly or implicitly, and they're all prefigured right back here in the Old Testament. Anyway, consecration of Aaron and his sons. You shall also take one ram, as I now say, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. It shall be this way. And you shall kill the ram, so you shall do, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar, as I instruct you. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces after it has been bled, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is to the Lord a burnt offering. It is a sweet aroma by fire to the Lord, is made this proffering. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons, as to you I say, shall put their hands on the head of the ram, thus it shall be this way. Then you shall kill the ram, and take some of its blood too, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tip of the right ear of his sons. So you shall do. On the the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar, please understand. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, this you shall do, and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments too, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him, as I to you tell. And he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him as well. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails too, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, so you shall do. The right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, according to my word, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron, and in the hands of his sons, and so fulfill my word, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands, and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is by fire to the Lord a proffering. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for what you have done. You have made us a kingdom of priests to you. And it is only because of the work of your son. It is only because of what he alone did do. And so we thank you and we give you praise. Yes, Lord God Almighty, we shall do so even until eternal days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, how marvelous it is. It just It is so great to get into these passages and to finally understand why they're there. I remember the very first time I read that about the right earlobe and the right finger and the right toe. And I thought, Lord, what are you telling us? And with thought, with consideration and with great scholars of time past who have thought these things through and maybe even somebody that talked to Paul, why why did you write the way you did? All of it was woven together and people have retained this for thousands of years to understand what Christ did for us. It's all picturing the giving of your son and what a marvelous gift that is that he would come and fulfill all these types and pictures literally in his own person and give his own life as an offering to you. And Lord, use us up. Let our lives be an offering to you as well. Help us to say, time is short and I'm willing to give my life wholly in service to you in each and everything I do. Whether I'm walking down the road, I can be thanking you. I can be praying to you. Or whether I'm working, I can be telling somebody that has a, a problem about Jesus and about how to resolve that problem. Whatever I do, I can be that living sacrifice that you ask, Lord. I can do it because you've made it possible because of the giving of your son. And so I ask that this would be in the heart of every person here and every person that watches this sermon, that they would say, I want to be that living sacrifice, just as Christ was, to emulate him before you. And Lord, we do have those people that we wanna pray for right now. We have um, Mr. Smith, who is having many problems with his family that uh, need to be resolved, and some of them are very great, Lord. We pray for Fred's mother, Mabel, who's suffering with lung cancer, who has been diagnosed with that. And we would pray that your hand would be upon them for healing, upon her for healing, and upon them for comfort during this time of trial and tribulation. And also for Kim's son-in-law, Chris, who has colitis. Lord, we would pray for him that your hand would be upon him. And also for all the other prayer requests that have come in this week that uh, have been many all the people struggling with their trials, please be with them, Lord. Guide them and uh, help them through these things and to come back to the top of the mountain where they can stand there and praise you without these afflictions. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we exalt you, and we commit the Lord's table to you, and we do it in his beautiful name. Amen. As far as the Lord's Supper, we get the instructions right from the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul wrote these words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And he would have said a blessing over it. He would have said, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it. And he said, Take it, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, and he would have blessed this. He would have said, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam Borei Pari Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And this do as often as you drink it and in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, you proclaim his death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body in the blood Lord Jesus Christ. The body in the blood Lord Jesus Christ. The body in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to live for you. And thank you that uh, we can do that because of what Christ did. And help us to perform that duty each and every day. And of course, we're going to fail, just like Aaron and the sons. We're just fallible people, Lord. But we have something much greater. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have an eternal salvation, an eternal inheritance because of what he did. We thank you for it, and we love you, and we praise you forever and ever. May we praise your holy name. Amen.